Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You? I'm okay, except for uh, September was brutal. Well, uh, let's just take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. That's right, because uh, September historically uh, for stock markets can be a tough uh, can be a tough month, and you know what? It was a bit of a doozer. Yeah, and, and most times when September is volatile, so is October, mm-hmm. going back in history. Um, so be prepared for volatility. Right. I think one of the biggest concerns that people have as they transition to or live in retirement is when they see these types of swings, and we're talking three, four percent. It's not like we're seeing ten, twenty yet. Yep. Um, that um, people sort of worry about their income. They start worrying about how much money will I be able to take in my retirement? Right. Will this go to zero? Right. All these different fears start. Well, they up. they see their portfolio going down, right? If you look online each day and you you see the portfolio go down particularly for people that are in retirement. You and I know psychologically that's a real problem because they have to live off of the portfolio, right? And so they see this shrinking value and they go, oh my God, am I going to be able to do it? And then you go to the dark place. Am I going to run out of money? Am I going to, you know, is this going to zero as you said? There's all of those fears that creep up. Here's what I think people should do when they look at their accounts online or if they get those paper statements. So there's People will look at their statements online or they'll get them in the mail or they'll look at their account as it is live on the system. Yes. Okay, whatever online program you're using. Here's the problem. Most people will look at the bottom line. Right. Is the bottom line going up or down? That's it. That's all they're focused on. And if it goes down, anxiety level goes up. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I got to take income. What people don't understand is that they need to label their accounts. Right. Okay? And here's how I suggest people should label. Label an account, what's for the growth for the longer term? Label the accounts, what are the accounts for the short term? Here's where the problem will come up. Most people will go, everything's in the same account. Well, they've never thought about that structure, right? It's one big bucket of money. Yeah. And this is the thing we've talked about for forever and a day is is that people don't transition their investment strategies from when they're at a period where they're growing their wealth to when they get into a period where they need to support a lifestyle and income. Now, here's what our industry has done. They said, okay, you've got this big bucket of money. You can draw X dollars per per month, per year out, no problem, provided that you get certain types of rate of return. So they're focused on that rate of return for everything, which is inaccurate, which is inaccurate. How we put things together, and if you were to label the accounts, you would actually see growth bucket, these are the accounts, income bucket, these are the accounts. The income bucket has different accounts based upon tax, the tax strategy. And then you can look at these accounts in separate mindsets. Has my income bucket gone down this quarter? This was a pretty bad quarter. Right. Q3 for 2021 was not good. Right. And so... When you look at a third quarter number and you say, oh, oh, what did my income do? Because that income is supposed to forecast out for the next 10 years, yeah, let's yeah, say. Yeah. What did my income bucket do? Okay, income bucket, let's, look up, let's talk about ours. Yep. Our income bucket has been in the global bond sector for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And pretty much this quarter? Yeah, flat to slightly positive. Okay, so if you're flat to slightly positive, 
but the markets are down, what does that mean for your income? Right. Absolutely nothing. Correct. Absolutely nothing. Had nothing to do with what happened in the stock market. And I think what people forget is how the structure of these two buckets is very important. Let's kind of spend some time, Dave, because you are the bond guy on the team, about what is actually happening in the income bucket. Mm. We talk about stocks all the time. And yeah, the stock guy wants to bring up the bond conversation because I think the bond <clears throat> market kind of gives us an idea of where things are headed. When, when investments are selected in the income bucket, there's no stocks. Correct. No preferred shares for dividends and focused on dividends. Correct. It's purposely done that way to minimize or negate that kind of volatility. It's cash bonds, right? It's not derivatives of bonds. It's not any of the things you've mentioned. It's cash bonds, meaning I lend somebody some money. I'm the creditor to that corporation or government or whatever it might be, right? And they owe me that money back with an interest rate. Correct. Now, there are multiple ways to make money or reduce volatility in the bond market. People think inflation's going up, interest rates going up, all bonds are gonna fall. Right. Simply not true. If you have 500 bonds all around the world, different time frames, different uh, maturities, different amount of interest rates, different currency, you can play with a whole bunch of things. Three of those C's, the letter C, capital appreciation, so bonds can move up in price. Mm-hmm. There are countries around the world that are changing their interest rates lower. So that price goes up. Number two, currency. As currency moves around, you can make some money there. And the credit quality. Is the quality of those companies actually improving? Mm -hmm. And so when you have these different types of investments, you don't have to focus on only one interest rate. Yeah, and there's ways to mitigate all of the risks. There's there's different risks in the bond markets than there are in the stock markets, and there's some overlap risks, right? Right. We know that. the, the problem, there's, there's always two problems. There's this, the math and the science behind the structure and discipline we talk about, right? And then there's the, uh, the psychology yeah. or the emotion behind what we do, right? Yeah. And in times when markets are, uh, equity markets are moving higher, people look at bonds if they're not keeping up and say, what am I doing with this, right? Now, let's leave the growth portfolio aside. In the income uh, portion of the portfolio, you've got to just maintain, preserve the purchasing power of that money over time. Right? So we can afford to take very low risk to protect the cash flow that a family needs to support their lifestyle. And over time, not through every single day or even on a quarterly basis, maintain the purchasing power by matching or slightly exceeding what inflation is doing. Right? So this transition that we talk about all the time um, in terms of how you structure your portfolio addresses not just the mathematical side and the risk components and so on and so forth, but it also addresses people's ability to relax through periods of volatility in the equity markets. And in fact, my job on the team, when I can take that risk out and give that income, it gives you the ability to go looking around for opportunity to take advantage of volatility. And that's how these two things work together. That's how we work so well together. When you're focused on the income side, so the clients feel okay, there's cash flow coming. I don't have to worry about what's happened today in, in the, the markets. Short term. I will get my this money. This year in the markets, I've, right. got my, I've got my check. Cash flow. It's just like the Canadian pension plan. Yep. I have yet to hear one person that watches this or listens to the show, any of our clients call me up and say, um, the markets are down. How do you think my pension check's going to go? Right. Do you think I'm going to lose my pension check? Right. 
No one says that to right. us. But when they look at their portfolio, oh, my income's gonna be impacted. Not if it's structured, right? Correct. Not if your structure of your portfolio is like those pension plans. Right. And that's where we have to look at. I think that's one key thing that in this market, I am so proud of that this quarter has not been a very good quarter for growth investments, right. stocks primarily, but has been fantastic in the income bucket. Yeah, it's been just fine. It's been doing exactly what, what it's it should supposed be doing. to do. That's exactly right. That's why you get to sleep at night, right? And the goal in retirement is obviously, it's not to be stressing out about what you see in your portfolio every single day. It's about enjoying the lifestyle that you've planned. Could you imagine, Dave, the people who have got dividends or that type of cash flow coming to pay their their expenses in retirement how much anxiety there is right now when markets fall yeah. we get another 10 percent correction yeah you got your dividend check and that's what our industry will say hang in there the dividends are still paying it you have nothing yeah. to worry about uh what if you need more than the dividend payment yeah then everything changes right. everything is now shot right there and that's the concern and that's why I'm really glad about today's show today. Like mm. today's show is going to be pretty cool. First of all, we're going to talk about you know how this minority government how yep. it's going to impact investors. So that's going to be a big piece there. But also, one of the biggest concerns that many of our clients feel when they become empty nesters, right? What's going to happen? What's the emotion for being an empty nester? Yep. Okay. Hopefully, cross our fingers. In a few years, we'll be empty nesters. So we'll <laughs> you we do want them that. to launch? Yeah, we get out, leave, <laughs> leave you two, leave, please. Okay, and then of course we've got a fantastic piece talking about what's happening in the market volatility, what's going on, how do you see things uh, short term, and where the opportunity lies in the long term. There's been a lot of volatility. I want to explain what's going on in the markets there. Basically, we've just come through the election. We know the results. We've got another minority uh, liberal government, the question we're being asked is, what does that mean? What does that mean from an economic perspective, from an investment perspective, and from a tax perspective? Yeah, this is gonna be a, a really a big concern for people in different parts of the country. Yeah. Right, because there's a different experience in certain parts of the country when you go out to Atlantic Canada, you go to Central Canada, Western Canada, they all have different experiences happening. So fears have different things coming up. And then also when you start listening to some of the, the media out there, uh, in different parts of the country. They're also reacting to different things. Yep. So what does this really mean for the country? And let's kind of narrow it down. Is what does it mean for, for Western Canada, primarily Alberta? Uh, how does that all impact? And we've got uh, Avery Shenfield. He's the CIBC's chief economist. Avery, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Okay, so let's kind of kick it off in regards to with this minority government, I'm calling it out with the old, in with the old. Nothing's really changed in my view. Maybe you have a different perspective. What's, what's the impact with this new government uh, and the makeup of it being a minority government? And how does it impact? Let's start off with investors. Well, you're right that nothing really changed in terms of this parliament looking very much like the prior one. Uh, but that's not really the right way to think about it, because remember that prior to the election, uh, back in April, we had a federal budget that was filled with new initiatives. Uh, the campaign itself did have some additional promises and, and issues going over. And we are on the cusp, particularly of importance to Western Canada, of some major initiatives in the field of climate change that will affect you know, the economy across the board, uh, have some major implications for different sectors. So it's not that politics is dull or non-existent here in Canada. Um, and it's not that it's, it is the same government, but 
They had a lot of things on the go, and some of those things will matter for financial markets and investors. Avery, why don't we pick it up there? Give us your thoughts as to what, um, what, what should we be keeping our eye on, given what you've just said? Well, there's a few items of importance, uh, some that are obvious and some maybe less obvious. One is that um, we do have, as I said, some major initiatives on climate change. My thesis was that this would have happened regardless of which party won. Uh, because at the end of the day, this is a global issue and governments around the world are making it clear that countries that don't do their bit are going to be penalized in terms of border taxes, in other words, charges against your exports to offset your failure, for example, to contain carbon the same way as some other countries are. So we would really be boxed in and have to do this. And it does mean that money will be thrown at some things that will uh, be designed to contain carbon emissions, including, for example, carbon capture and storage. We will likely at some point get a much more global market for trading in carbon emission reductions. So I think that's going to be an important new market uh, force that will help uh, meet some of these goals. And of course, you know, we're going to be pushed into buying electric vehicles, um, and other th other decisions that will presumably help lower the carbon intensity of the economy over time. It does pose a challenge for the oil and gas sector. It means that growth prospects for that industry, if we look longer term, are clearly affected by the global decisions in this regard. You know, down the road, fewer gas using vehicles on the road. Uh, more alternative energy usage around the world does pose issues for oil and gas. It's not an immediate end to the industry by any means, uh, but it does mean that in terms of the Alberta economy, uh, it does just raise the stakes just one little bit more in terms of looking for diversification opportunities, which the province is already you know, attempting to do. Avery, we've racked up a whole bunch of debt going through this pandemic, and even coming into the pandemic, we had a whole bunch of debt in this country. Um, and so the concern that many Canadians have is that we need to pay for this debt. Some of it will be paid through growth over time as revenues will increase because of just <clears throat> organic growth. But a lot of it will have to be created or brand new taxes or fees and so forth. One concern that people have that we've been hearing about is they're going to be taxing a group of individuals. Let's call them the high income or what some parties call it, the super wealthy. Um, this is a, a concern from uh, viewpoints of does it really help? Does taxing, let's call it the rich, and I'm putting that in quotes, does taxing the rich actually help the economy grow by paying for all, this, all these costs or some of these costs? Or are there other ways that maybe the government could, could do it? So if you actually went back to the budget last April, um, that budget track showed without major new tax initiatives, a significant reduction in budget deficits over time. So for example, uh, by the middle of the decade, the deficit would be around 1% of GDP, which is certainly something we could live with. Um, that was back in April. Um, and in fact, that's not materially different than the track that the Conservatives were proposing. You know, balanced budget in a decade, well, getting to 1% of GDP halfway through that decade, you know, that's basically the same path. The issue is that, of course, during the campaign, we did see some new promises made by uh, all the parties in terms of spending. And the question is, how are we going to pay for those? Um, now, there is some good news on that front. Economic activity in Canada has run a bit ahead of the budget's forecast. So actually, there was a little more revenue room uh, 
um, than the government anticipated back in April. And that additional revenue room, plus the Liberals' proposal to tax banks and insurance companies, which uh, I work for a bank, so the less said about that, the better from my perspective. I'd obviously be seen as biased on that particular policy question, but that would have been enough to pay for it without, as you said, you know, taxing, quote, the rich or capital gains or other things. But there is a risk here, and it's one that my colleague Jamie Gollenbeck, who is CIBC's tax expert, pointed out to me when I said that, well, it's good news that the liberal platform didn't have any of that in it. He pointed out that that's true, but of course they're in a minority government, and the NDP platform certainly was loaded up with tax increases on the wealthy. And the question is, will the liberals then give a nod to the NDP and approve those sorts of tax hikes? They wouldn't have to if they keep spending in line with what they suggested. But there is pressure on them to spend more. Pressure from the Bloc Quebecois and from every provincial government to increase dramatically the transfers to provinces for health care. And then preference, pressure from the NDP side on things like pharmacare and other social policies. And if the Liberals choose to pick up on any of those, then they will be on the hunt for some additional taxes. I don't think a wealth tax is really easy to institute or workable. I don't believe they will tax the accumulated capital gains on houses, so those people fearing that, that particular item, I think can rest assured that they won't do that. One key reason is that you know those capital gains are largely held by people in the greater Toronto area uh, and, and to a lesser extent some other major urban areas of the country. Those are precisely the same areas where the Liberals won all their seats. So I don't think that would be a particularly popular move for them. Uh, but the one item that could be under consideration is a, a higher inclusion rate on capital gains income. So right now, only half of your capital gains income is subject to tax. Historically, that had been higher at some points in our history. And you know we are a little bit nervous that that might be something that the government chooses to look at if they decide to accept some of these additional spending demands that weren't in the Liberal platform. Avery, we've got less than one minute left. If you can give us your, your uh, forecast for the Canadian uh, economy 12 months out, what would you say would be? Well, it's all about COVID, and we're still hopeful that the combination of vaccines, not just in Canada, but globally, perhaps some new uh, treatments that are more effective, uh, that those will quell the COVID fear and, and help the economy recover. So we're looking for a much brighter economic position a year from now, not just Canada, uh, but globally. That will mean we'll start to see interest rates move up. Uh, both short-term rates late next year and over the next year a bit more uh, on longer-term rates. Uh, but it does mean a healthier economy. And, and really, if you look at the equity market, we're already counting on that. Uh, equity prices today include expectations for better corporate profits a year from now. So we really do need that COVID story to roll out the right way for us um, to maintain equity values where they are. Really quickly, your view on inflation before we go to commercial break. So I'm not a nervous Nelly about the inflation we're seeing now. That inflation is indeed temporary due to supply disruptions that are related to COVID. And if COVID goes away, those supply disruptions will largely disappear. I do think we'll have another bout of, after a lull in inflation, probably in the first half of next year, we'll start to see some real inflation pressures reemerge in the latter half of 2022. And by real, I mean the kind of inflation which may not be 4 or 5%, 
but might get us to closer to 3% where we need some interest rate hikes, particularly in the U.S., uh, but later perhaps in Canada to make sure that we end up, you know, a couple of years from now back at the 2% inflation rate we're looking for. And that's still our longer term projection that if we look a couple of years out, we're probably back in the 2% range for inflation. Avery, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it today. My pleasure. Faisal, so we both have young kids, okay? Yep. Um, running to soccer practice, squash practice, uh, soccer at school, swimming lessons, sound familiar, karate, all of it, yeah, got yeah, it? Yeah, I'm the unpaid Uber driver <laughs> after work, yes. Are yep. you ready for the empty nest? I am right now. If you ask me right now, I want an empty nest. <laughs> and it's only the first week of soccer, right? Like, so so it's, it's, what's interesting about people who transition to or live in retirement, Dave, is that um, when we deal with couples, we get different experiences yep. of what they're what they're leaving behind. For for some of our clients, I'm leaving my career, I'm leaving my job, my business. That was somewhat of my identity. When when we deal with other clients, they say to us, "Well, hang on, my my kids are leaving the, the nest." That's right. It's it's empty here. It's quiet. I'm stuck with that one by a, you know like that person only. Like my my spouse is the only one around me now. Yep. I've kind of lost something. There's an empty nest feeling, which is like a loss almost. That's right. right? And so it's, it's a challenge from that, from a, from a mental mindset of what, what do I do? How do I deal with this? And so let's kind of get the idea of what, does what do people go through and how do you actually handle this emptiness? We may be looking forward to it now because we're the Uber driver, <laughs> but what happens when it actually well, does occur? Will, we, will we, both of us be crying because our kids are gone? Or, right. Are we going to high so, five and pop some champagne because they're gone? I have no idea yet. I think there's two ways to solve it. Number one, if you're feeling empty nest, you just call me. I'll give you my kids for a week or two. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> but more seriously, it is, it is actually having an impact on, on people. And sometimes we're unprepared for that. You and I will both be in that particular boat. And so we've got to deal with this as the kids move out and we face that empty nest. What's the impact of that? And we've got Shari Lee, who's a life and mindset coach. Uh, at Imperfectly Perfect Life. I think that's uh, an awesome title. Uh, Shari, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. And I just became an empty nester, so I'm a little bit ahead of you too. <laughs> okay, so, so let's talk about the empty nest syndrome um, and what people can, uh, can expect emotionally, and then let's try to tackle some of the solutions to this. Sure. Well, emptiness syndrome is a real thing, and it affects on a normal year, one in four people, one in five parents. And so I imagine after, you know, with this pandemic, that number is probably a little higher because we haven't had that natural transition. And so emptiness syndrome can bring on anxiety, depression, loss of identity. And like you mentioned, just because you're in a... Um, a relationship, your spouse may be experiencing something entirely different. So it's very unique to that parent. So how do how do people cope with this? Um, because there is a very wide range. We know people, very wide range of, of uh, emotions here. And I'm interested when I ask that question in two aspects. How does somebody deal with it, uh, their own emotions? And then how do you do that, tackle it as a couple, if you're feeling something different? Well, First, as a couple, I think just realizing that you two may be going through entirely different emotions. One person, as you mentioned, could be popping the champagne, while the other person may be looking at that person popping that champagne and thinking, oh no, here I am just with this person at home. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I recommend looking at maybe three tools. 
to start with. One is recognizing that we don't own our children. Two is write the alternate story. Write the story. What would happen if the children didn't leave? What would that look like? And three, the last one is detach for a moment. Take a step back and then you can see the situation for just a moment without those emotions and the joy of being able to see that young person go off to college or off on a, a new career route. Um, and, and that's a privilege. Sherry, Sherry you, you talk about this, um, this whole trying to detach and so forth. Um, it's, you also mentioned it's about identity. And so when, when we've talked to clients and they're like, my kids have left, I've, they're trying to figure themselves out. So that's the, the first part of it. And then fast forward years later, they might have a, their first grandchild and they're like, yes, I'm back in the game. I can, I can be involved with the little one again, right? Like they're, they're, those emotions start to come out. Um, so how do, you, how do you deal with that, that I feel like I've lost my identity? Regardless if it's empty yep. nester or you're leaving your career, you've lost your identity. It, how do you deal with that as you go through this new phase called retirement? Well, uh, that's, that's difficult for everyone, as you mentioned. And what I suggest, because I do work with um, middle-agers and, and I have so many people in the same boat as me, I remind them that this is not just a transformation for your child. This is also a time for a transformation for you. And to take a moment to step back and kind of picture what do you want that transformation to feel like? What do you want this next phase of life to feel like? what do you picture yourself doing next and just focus on that because we're focused so much on our child's transformation that oftentimes we feel lost because we haven't taken a moment to focus on ours and what we want that to look like you know um the i'm going to ask an unfair question i guess shari a little bit but uh we talk about transition all the time and so when we talk about transition into retirement we like to speak of that honeymoon period of a couple of years on average for people as they move away from work and they move into this new phase of their life, try to figure out exactly what they're gonna settle into. Can you give us some guidelines? So if, if people are listening or watching and they're, you know, they're struggling with this, they're feeling the emotion of the kids moving out and you know, sitting there staring 24 seven at their, at their spouse or partner now, how long does it take? This isn't something I imagine you can solve overnight. So what can people expect? I think people really, one, is to give themselves grace and realize that this is a big a big life change, not just for their children, but also for themselves as well. And a lot of times we gloss over what the parents are going through. So recognizing and giving ourselves some grace, taking a moment to really you know, figure out, and like I said, when you can write that alternate story of what your life would look like if the kids didn't leave home, now also write that you know, story of what it can look like for the next half of your life. And, and when you take a step back, it's, it's actually pretty exciting because right now you get a chance to design your life. And I know uh, this is a discussion that my husband and I are having right now. In fact, we're, we got married when we were just 25 years old and now we're in our 50s and we're looking at retirement. I just joined ARP the other day when I found out I could get a discount on my sales service. But this is, um, this is really a moment in life that you know we haven't had to, to have this conversation until now and have that conversation make an appointment to have that conversation with your spouse to discuss hey what are you going through right now what are your thoughts let's plan this together that's a hard conversation to have Dave when you think about this fast forward you know years in, in ahead and you and your wife are sitting down the kids have left yeah 
let's say you're no longer working, you don't run a business, your wife doesn't have her business and not working anymore. How, how easy is it to have a conversation of, okay, now we have to talk about just us. Before it was about everybody else. Yeah. Your employees, your kids, yeah. your family member. Yeah. Now it's just about us. Many people have a hard time doing that. I recommend a fermented beverage over this conversation, <laughs> maybe two. Uh, but 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 what about what about the uh, the convert? Like it, it seems like it's a hard conversation for people to sit down and kind of be honest about where they are in their lives, about their yeah. future. Yeah, and so I would broaden that conversation away from just obviously the 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 kids. Uh, it's the whole transition aspect of it, right? There's a lot of things happening, uh, Shari, as you would know, as kids are leaving home and retirement. All of this stuff's packed in together. And you know, the one thing that we know, um, Faisal, is that the earlier those conversations start to take place, the better it is, right? Don't wait until the kids are gone and you're retired to have those conversations. Probably the best idea is to start now. We've got less than 30 seconds left, Sherry. Give us three pieces of advice for our listeners and viewers on how to cope when you leave, when you have an empty nest. Okay, three pieces, 30 seconds. One is remember you don't own your kids. It's always been their own journey. So separate from that journey. It's never been ours. It's always been theirs too. Um, write the alternate story. What would it look like if they didn't leave home? What's for dinner? <laughs> Do we have anything to eat? And three, the last one, detach for a moment. Take a step back and look at it for what it is. Such a privilege to send our kids off and a time to reconnect and redesign our lives. What a great piece of advice. Thank you. Thank you, Shari. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Faisal, we've had a lot of volatility in September. We talked about it at the top of the show. September can be a rough month. This was a bit of a, a bruiser, right? People, we got a lot of calls from, you know, clients from people that uh, just watch the show concerned, yep. right? And there's a number of reasons why. Historically, we know September's a tough month, but we actually had a, kind of a witch's brew of problems, <laughs> right? And concerns that, that the market could, could really kind of stew on, and it did. You're really into the Halloween mode already, yeah, aren't you? we're getting there. Witch's brew. Mm-hmm. Very well said. <laughs> um, um, we've uh, the volatility uh, for the month of September, even the, the third quarter of, of this year, um, has a, a whole bunch of things happening. Mm. Yes, we have the Delta variant. Yes, we have more cases. Vaccine rates not taken off as <clears throat> as some people would hope. Um, we're seeing a whole bunch of mess happening in Washington with the debt ceiling and all the concerns about this. Trying to tucking an infrastructure bill up the whole time and welcome to politics and yep. all the issues. And so the drama continues there. You got China and their issues coming up and that's causing a bit of a stir. So now we've got more than just COVID to worry about. And they're not, it's not like it's only COVID with a whole bunch of other ideas and issues behind. Now the other issues are coming up to the top right. of your witch's brew. So now right. you can see all the, the bad stuff that's happening. So, in this type of volatility, which we anticipated, if anybody goes back to our show, they'll hear that um, I was specifically saying we're going to see more volatility. Expected. Did I make drastic changes in the portfolio? No. Because well, because we were, we were positioning with a thesis in mind, though. Right. right. I mean, it's important to say that. Right. Now, <clears throat> what, what was going on was, it was that anybody who focuses purely on the stock market... Mm -hmm will see a big drop in, the port, in, in, their, in their returns. But if you're focused on a five-pillar investment strategy like we have, you find that the volatility is reduced. Not saying it's zero, right. but it's reduced. I always say losing less is making more. And literally, 
over the weekend, Friday, Thursday, you and I sitting down together, talking to all of the experts that we work with. It's not just Dave and Faisal making up stuff in, the, in yep. downtown Calgary. We are talking to people internationally, major portfolio managers, pension plan managers, and saying, what the heck are you guys seeing? Where's everything going? What are your risks? What are the opportunity? And you start with the risk matrix first. I'm actually getting excited about this volatility. I, I won't call it Boxing Day shopping, maybe Amazon Prime Day, you know, that kind of a thing, <laughs> where you start, so there are some deals, but really aren't always so many deals. Right. So we have to kind of look around. It's not like everything is cut and slashed in price. So it's, let's call it Amazon Prime Day for, for my sake. And I now get to look at opportunities. And you saw me when we use our, our whiteboard to put things out. Here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity. And I think what's being missed right now, Dave, is that the headline stories are so much in people's face that they're missing out on so much opportunity. I bet you very little conversation is gonna be about the technology that's happening with this COVID vaccine. Merck coming out with their, their information on, on, on Friday. That's one. Number two, the technology is happening to help with the change in the environmental piece, which is a big issue. Infrastructure, big issue. These governments are pushing this agenda. If you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. That's where the agenda is going. Huge opportunity. The amount of technology that has been changing and supply chain, how that's been a big issue. There's been so much opportunity to solve these problems. I get excited because I think there's going to be some good deals on this on this Amazon Prime Day. You know, like I think that's yeah. where where <clears throat> I like this stuff. So I want I just want people to kind of get an idea that expect volatility. Yep. Volatility is my friend because volatility gives me the opportunity to buy good investments where people are selling them for for cheap prices. Yeah, you know, we talked about this at at the top of the hour too, but it, it bears repeating is that what allows what allows us to go and look for opportunity. Uh, because opportunity sometimes takes time to capitalize on, right? And time is not the friend of somebody in retirement, yeah. right? And so what gives us the opportunity to look at those opportunities, position portfolios to take advantage of it, is the fact that income is also taken care of, right? Yeah. And, and I think structure and discipline we talk about all the time. I want to bring it back to that. There's discipline in the thesis, the investment thesis. There's discipline in the weightings that we have to specific areas, right? Where we seek and take risk in the growth portfolio. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a bigger picture than just, structuring wealth is a bigger picture than just looking at the volatility in the investment markets. And that's important here's, for people to know. Here's three things I would like everybody um, watching or listening to this, ask if they have an advisor or a portfolio manager, ask these, these questions. Number one, what's your buy uh, criteria? Mm -hmm. When do you go out and buy something? Number two, when do you sell something? What's your exiting clause? And number three, given your structure and discipline, what's the cycle I have to wait to see right. performance? Right. To my retirement plan. Let's make up a number. Let's say you have to make 5%. There are times you're going to be negative. Yep. Like even Warren Buffett has a 35% negative year over year Return. Yes. It happens. And he's then one of the best, if not the best, in money management. So you've got times of underperformance. You're going to have times of overperformance. But how long does it take for me to go through that cycle? And am I comfortable with that cycle? Our industry talks about 
What's your risk tolerance? If the portfolio went down 20%, how would you feel? That's a moment in time. And you're always looking at it from today's viewpoint. You're right. not in it. Right. Right? How would you feel if there was a hurricane or an earthquake or a tornado? Right. Well, I'd, I'd be upset. Terrible. That's right. I'd feel terrible. So do you think we should live here? Well, I want to live here. Right. I don't care about that. That hasn't happened yet until it happens. Right. And then they start to reflect, like, maybe I shouldn't have moved here. Right. So in that mindset, let's look at what's your buy strategy, what's your sell strategy, and how long do I have to wait for the cycle? Because I know there are investment strategies out there that have a very high focus on stocks, dividend-paying stocks, and growth companies. Yeah. And that's nothing wrong with that. But the cycle to actually see when things go from down to back to break-even to profit can take years. Yep. Do you have that patience? That's what we're missing as an industry. How patient are you? Right. That's can really the question. Can you hold on to an right. investment yep. for three to five years? Right. Knowing you need income, knowing your lifestyle is going to change, these are the things. So it's now the patient factor. So and I wish in our, in our industry people would say, I am willing to hold on to this type of strategy and write it out, whatever the number of years that that strategy says. And I think our industry, as, as money managers, we have to explain that. See, that's the key. It's, it's, it's a, I'm not sure education is the, right, is the right word because I'm not sure that I talk Disclosure. To, yeah, it's, 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 an under, it's directional understanding. Right, so people need to, to get an idea of what the strategy is based on. What are the key assumptions? Right, we talk about that all the time. Under the hood, there's lots of stuff that move in parts. Right, but I think we got to know what car, kind of car we're driving, in order to to be able to determine when we're going to get from A to B and yep. so on and so forth. Right, and I think that's really important for people and 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 their understanding. But the thing, the takeaway from this segment, is is volatility can be either your friend or your foe. Right? It is an absolute problem if you are dependent upon drawing out of a portfolio that's beaten down. Mathematically, that creates a very significant series of problems. We'll cover that in our seminar. Okay? Um, if you structure your portfolio in a way that you provide time and opportunity to take advantage of volatility, it becomes your friend. Yeah, and that's where I think when you have a disciplined approach and you know there are times like this where you see 3 4 5% yeah. drops, Amazon Prime Day. Not Boxing Day. Right. You see even 10, 10%. 20. Even 10. If you see 20 or more, maybe <clears throat> 30 or more, right. oh, it's Boxing Day shopping. Right. And so we're going to have those periods and we're going we're gonna to be fine in those times. But the, the key thing is understanding buy criteria, sell criteria, and the recovery period. And do you have that patience? Right. Because if you don't, you have to look for a strategy that matches your patience level. Good point. Okay. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to actually talk about the structure and the discipline of how losing less is making more. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that on October 19th. That's a Tuesday night, 7 p.m., live online for our webinar. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. I want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of my partner, Faisal, myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.